Today's episode of Locked On Blackhawks is brought to you by Built Bar, the protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. Make sure to check out BuiltBar.com right now and use our promo code LOCKDOWN in all caps and you'll get 20% off your next Built Bar order. Your Locked On Blackhawks, your daily podcast on the Chicago Blackhawks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked On Blackhawks podcast, your daily podcast on the Chicago Blackhawks. Today is Monday, December 28th, 2020. I am your host, Jack Bushman. You can find me out on Twitter at JackBushman2, or you can also follow my Strictly Blackhawks account at Talkin Hockey for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. If you like what you're hearing today, then be sure to subscribe to the podcast for free wherever you may listen to your podcast, whether that be through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. You'll be able to get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day, so please be sure to go do that. Also, please go follow our Twitter page, which can be found at capital L, capital O, underscore Blackhawks, with some really good content being posted there every day as well. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning into today's episode of Lockdown Blackhawks. Hope you all had a fantastic holiday with your family. On the show today is part one of my sit-down interview with Blackhawks 2010 Stanley Cup champion defenseman Brent Sopel. I hope you all enjoy. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, as always, thank you for tuning into today's episode of Lockdown Blackhawks. Joining me today, we have a special guest, a 12-year NHL veteran and member of the 2010 Stanley Cup champion Chicago Blackhawks. He is now on a mission to change the world by raising awareness about dyslexia. Ladies and gentlemen, Brent Sopel. Brent, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. How are you doing? Uh, I got a lot of things going on. How much time? Can I complain a lot? We got, we got no, time. I'm just kidding. We're I'm doing well. <laughs> Thanks for allowing me in this beautiful basement. Oh, thank <laughs> you for joining me. I appreciate it. Did I see uh, on Instagram you got a tooth pulled the other day? I got two. Merry I got Christmas. two. My stitches, my stitches are hanging out. You want to pull them out? We'll get, we'll get there. But <laughs> right. Behind the sounds, scenes. We'll get sounds, the behind right, the scenes good. clips. <laughs> um, so, obviously, you had a tremendous playing career. You played in the NHL for over a decade. But what I want to get into first is what you're doing now uh, following your playing career. I've watched a couple of videos. I've listened to a bunch of podcasts that you've been on, and I've heard you say you don't want your legacy to be known as a hockey player. You want to be known as someone who's making a difference and fighting to be a, an educator of dyslexia. Um, so you want to tell the listeners out there a little bit about how you got to starting your own foundation, the Brett Sopel Foundation, and your, your story, how you got diagnosed and some of that. Yeah, you know, you're bang on. You know, uh, hockey and winning a Stanley Cup is giving me a platform for what my purpose is, and that's you know, uh, bringing awareness to the world of, of what, you know, dyslexics go through on a day-to-day basis. And, um, you know, I'll get into that more. But, you know, we're born with our right wire, wire differently. So um, for 33 years of my life, you know, I was called dumb, stupid, and lazy. Those are the three words that uh, most teachers use uh, to dyslexic kids uh, that, because they can't see it. You know, if you're handicapped or if you're blind, you get more support than, than a dyslexic. Um, just because they can visually see there's something going on. Yeah, and that's weird. You know, it's that, and that's kind of what I, I'm trying to do is just because you'll never understand what we go through on a day to day basis. Right. The way to describe it is, you know, like a bowling alley. Lane one's guys, lane two's girls, lane three's dyslexic guys, lane four's dyslexic girl. You know, three and four can mold into lane one and two. We know what's going on in your head, mm-hmm. we know you guys, how, you, how you handle things, but you guys have no idea what's going on in our brain. Right. None. 
you know, so that's the that's the hard part. You've got educators, you got principals, uh, you got superintendents trying to tell a, a dyslexic kid what to do. No, don't tell me what to do because you have no idea. No idea. You know, so majority of time they're telling us the wrong thing to do. You know, because they have no idea. And uh, you know, the education system here, you know, in the U.S. obviously is a little bit different. It's, it's you know, it's about money. Yeah. You know, every every school gets X amount of dollars, and they try and allocate it the best they can. But if a kid gets dis- uh, diagnosed with dyslexia, well, there's some pot of money that's going to have to be allocated somewhere else, and they don't want to do that. You know, so, you know, I started the foundation uh, three years ago. It's a principal foundation, and, you know, just to, to educate the world first. You know, I want to change the world, mm-hmm. but I have to educate the world and, and explain to me what we go through on a daily basis and what we see and um, you know, I've got some raw scars because, you know, when you can't read or you're not very good at it and it's not the reading, it's the number one problem with dyslexics is that we have no self-esteem. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care. You could be a genius. You, you know, if you, you don't like have confidence, you know, you always think, I always say that you're not alone. You know, if you're in a struggle, alcohol or drugs or depression or anxiety, you always think you're alone. No matter who, no matter what that is, and dyslexia is we we feel alone every day, all day long, because we could, you know most classrooms right now are 20, 25 kids. Mm-hmm. You know there's four or five dyslexic kids in there, right? And they're looking around, and they just want to fit in, and they know they're that kid, mm-hmm. and that sucks as a kid, and uh, you know it even sucks as an adult because you know a lot of us are look around and go they don't understand me, and that's hard. Yeah. And I was watching your video on YouTube, Brent Sopel, here to change the world. And uh, when I was watching that, you brought up just a couple of jaw-dropping statistics. Can you share those <laughs> real quick? Because I'm sure the listeners out there How have much no time idea. you have? I got about I a mean, million statistics. But they're, they're still all insane. And you have no idea, like you said, in the classroom of 20, 25 people, there could be four people dyslexic, you know, and have no idea because they're just scared of the situation. Almost. You know, and obviously the way I got diagnosed is got my daughter tested. Mm-hmm. You know, she's 18, just finished her first semester college online and with the you know with COVID she didn't go there but I got diagnosed is is because she she has she it got, yeah. now dyslexia is one in five and hereditary so I spent 33 years not understanding understanding what's going on just thought I was dumb so the and one of the stats is that 40 million adults in the U.S. have it is what we figure mm-hmm. two million know it yeah that's so we got 38 gap. million adults if we're you know we're in the ballpark that don't know they have dyslexia don't know why they're different don't know why they're addicted to drugs and alcohol because 65 to 70 percent of uh dyslexics are addicted to drugs and alcohol 50 mm-hmm. percent of people in prison in the world yes in the world half the prison population have dyslexia yeah that's... you know here in chicago you know we talk about the south side and the murder rates you know i guarantee you know 50 67 percent of them can't read you know and everybody complains about it but you do the same thing if you can't read you cannot get a job I'm terrible at math. There's a job out there yeah. for me. Whatever's that landscaping, whatever it is, it's, there's a job mm-hmm. for me that I'm not good at math. But if you can't read, you can't do a resume, you can't get a job. So guess what? I feel bad for them. You know, people roll their eyes and roll their head, heads and say they're, they'd never do that. Bullshit. Ignorant. You do the, exactly the same thing. And you know what? They're doing what they have to do. Right. It's illegal. You're right. But they're doing what they have to do to survive. And you, as an individual, would do the exact same thing. Yeah, I, I remember you also bringing up a point about 
I forget what percentage it was, self-made millionaires that are dyslexic. 30 to 40% yeah, of self-made millionaires are, are dyslexic. 50% of people in NASA working right. are dyslexic. So, yeah. you know, there's two ways about this. Can you be very successful? Can, can dyslexia be, uh, you know, a gift? 100%. You know, it can be. Like, I, I look at the because world Because people are smart enough to figure out how to survive We're, we're tinkerers. We can take things apart. You know, I can build things without even reading, you know, uh, reading the instructions. Uh, you know, for an example, if I'm driving down the freeway, down 290, I'll tell you every license plate on every car that I drive by drives by me. Really? That's, that's how my brain works. Wow. You guys? Not at all. No. So, you know, it can be a gift. But also, you know, there's a reason why... 65 to 70% of us are addicted to drugs and alcohol. Going down a bad path is the easiest path for us. Right. And what's that mean is I've been told I'm dumb, stupid my whole life. I've started struggling from the first time that I grabbed a book. So I've done, I've had nothing but negativity, you know, most Mm -hmm. of my life. So for me to go down, you know, if you got two packs of kids, you know, a, a good, you know, good pack of kids and the kids that are getting in trouble, guess what? We're going to go down the, this the easy know, path, you know, and that's the kids that are, that are getting in trouble because that's who we are. That's the path that we've been, you know, pushed upon because we haven't found out, you know, if we're dyslexic or the school doesn't know how to handle it or the teachers don't know. And, uh, you know, so there's a, there's a bigger fact, you know, fact to this. All right, ladies and gentlemen, before I continue this sit-down interview with Brent Sopel, I need to talk to you all about Built Bar, which is the protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. Built Bar has a ton of awesome flavors like salted caramel, peanut butter brownie, German chocolate cake, and they also have six new flavors, which are caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp, all of which like the other 12 flavors, are covered in 100% real chocolate and are soft, easy to chew, and great for the keto diet. Not only are all the bars low calorie and low sugar, but they are also a great source for protein and fiber. So make sure to go to BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKEDON in all caps to get 20% off your next Built Bar order. One more time, be sure to check out BuiltBar.com for a delicious and healthy snack option and use our promo code LOCKEDON in all caps for 20% off your next Built Bar order. This. Mm-hmm. And one thing that comes to mind to me is being someone who's gone to college and just gone through the school system, like seeing how many kids are just tis- discouraged from school and like they're smart kids, you know, but I just think like, I don't, maybe there was an opportunity or a chance that I was around someone who was dyslexic and just well, didn't, you know what I mean? Exactly, you know, that's what I'm saying. That's you take a look at how many kids were in your high school when you graduated? My class was like 500. All right, you know, so take 20% of that, whatever. Exactly, and that's crazy to me. Is, and I mean, that's it. Most of those kids, you know, I never heard the word dyslexia until mm-hmm. I was diagnosed, my daughter was. 32, right? Yeah, yeah 32, 33, whatever it was. So I went that whole time without knowing, you know. Everybody knows what autism is. Autism is one in 65 right now and not hereditary. Cancer is one in two, not all are hereditary. Next is mental health and dyslexia at one in five. Yeah. Not, not all mental health are hereditary. Guess what? So that puts dyslexia next mm-hmm. on, the can, you know, on the belt of uh, these statistics, highest to least. Dyslexia is second in the world. 
next to cancer. Yeah, that's insane. You know, I, I could be wrong. There might be something else falling in there, you know, but I don't know anything else that's falling in there. So, you know, listeners, correct me if I'm, you know, there may be something in there, but from what my knowledge, you know, so guaranteed you graduate with kids that have it. Yeah, that's... And, and good, point, good point of them, probably most of them didn't even know they had it. That's, yeah. And even if they did, they didn't talk about it. Why? Because mm-hmm. nobody understands it. Right. So it's definitely awesome you're out with your foundation trying to raise awareness, trying to raise funds so we can do that because, as we know, it's, it t- it's unfortunately, it takes money to do, make these changes. Well, yeah, you know, and smart, you know, look at Richard Branson, Virgin Airlines, you talk mm-hmm. to some of you know, Thomas Edison, Created, I think he created something good. I'm not sure what no, that no. is. But he's dyslexic. You know, so there's the guys and there's kids right now that have the ability to change the world. But right now they're not ever going to get a chance because we're not given that chance. Well, I'm glad you're taking the opportunity to try and change the world. And I really believe you're going to do so. Um, are you coaching a little bit right now as well? No, I did last year. And, Coach um, last year. I saw a picture of you on the sleeveless vest. It was yeah, last year I brought out, uh, you know, um, I was coaching – uh, U16, U18s, and, you know, um, hockey's the best game to transfer into life skills. And I was, ra- I was there not to coach hockey. It was just to raise men. And mm-hmm. uh, No Shirt Sundays is, is how I gold. coached. That was and, gold. Uh, the kids kids enjoyed it. And I used to play air guitar or oh, yeah. uh, karaoke on the bench and just had to have fun with it. But, uh, uh, you know, I ended up moving up to, to Florida. So okay. uh, I'm in a, you know, a little bit of a transition. And, you know, I'm up there now and may get back into it. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, with the moving stuff, I'm, you know, I'm not It was an experience that. you enjoyed, though? Yeah, I did. You know. Yeah, again, they're great kids. Every one of those kids I had a great time with and I make up nicknames and had fun with them. Yeah. And, you know, it was just, it was, it was very tough, uh, to be a part of Illinois hockey when so many people in Illinois care about making money and about themselves and mm-hmm. they're not about the kids. So it was very sad to see. That's tough. That's tough. Um, all right, let's get into your playing career a little bit. Um, so you, uh, I played cricket. Did you know that? You played cricket? No. I, yeah, I did not think you played any cricket at all. Uh, so you were a six-round pick in the 1995 NHL draft. Don't no, no disrespect, but not a lot of six-round picks uh, make it to the NHL, let alone go on to have the career that you did. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your journey to the NHL? And I also noticed you, you played a handful of years in the minors and four years of juniors before you became an everyday NHL player. Yeah, you know, I was, you know, obviously everybody knows I was uh, – one of the slowest in the league and always one of the ugliest. So uh, it took me a little a true beauty time. though with that hair yeah. face for radio. That's why we're on this <laughs> podcast. Um, you know, but I needed that extra time and, you know, um, and maturity. And I guess that's really where my dyslexia comes into play. I needed to, to figure out who I was and um, figure out how I need to play the game. You know, I, you know, talk about NASA, you know, talking about those statistics, you know, my spatial awareness on the ice, my ability to anticipate is what, you know, made me who I was because obviously how slow I was. Um, I, you know, I started figuring out knowing where guys were going to be before they went or where that shot was mm-hmm. going to be to release. But it took me a long time to, to figure out, you know, how to play. You got some, you know, kids coming in the league now at 18 years old right. and, and, you know, and succeeding. That wasn't me, you know, so. It's not everybody. Either. No, you know, everybody matures at different ages. Definitely. And, you know, uh, my life and who I was, it's, uh, you know, it was junior hockey, um, you know, I played at home for a couple of years and I got traded, I think it was 16 and moved away. So mm-hmm. I had to grow up and, you know, figure out who I was at that point in time. Uh, but also I had to, uh, figure out hockey and figure life and pros. And, uh, so my time in the minors was, was what I needed. 
you know, was amazing. Valuable. Uh, oh yeah. You know, it was, uh, at that point in time, the second best league, you know, in the world, right. the AHL. Now I think, you know, it's the third best league. The KHL is now, now step, stepped ahead. But for me, I needed that development and being a six round pick, there's a reason why. And that was my skating, you know? So I had, I had, a, you know, hockey's 90% mental, 10% physical. And I need to work on it. You know, I had to work on the. It's not thinking the game. It's, you know, if you have a bad shift, how don't you think about it? And dyslexics overthink. So I had to learn how to, to, you know, get rid of that and not overthink that. And, you know, so there's a lot of things that come into play. And you hear the cliche that I learned how to be a pro. Learning how to be a pro is off the ice, away from the rink. And uh, how do you eat and how do you sleep and what do you do and how do you do it? And, um, you know, you know when you can party, when you can't party. If you do party, you got to know how to show up and how to play guilty. You know, I played guilty and played some of my best games guilty. And, <laughs> um, but that, that comes in part of being, you know, being a pro. So right. um, the long journey to be a six-round pick, I, I think, uh, 144th overall. I think there's only uh, up from when they started keeping the stats. I think there's only four of us that have ever played more than uh, 200 games in league. Wow. So uh, you know, I'm I'm proud of my career, but I'm more proud of the platform it's given me. All right, ladies and gentlemen, my sit-down interview with Brent Sopel will continue in just a moment. But first, I need to talk to you all about betonline.ag. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action by going to betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. And use our promo code LOCKEDON, one word in all caps, to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Are you ready for some football? College football heads into bowl season, and there are some big matchups this weekend. Plus, the NFL regular season is finishing up with the playoff picture becoming clearer every week. And there is only one place that has you covered and one place that we trust, betonline.ag. You can also visit our good friends and our exclusive partner on social media at betonline underscore ag to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account and be sure to use our promo code LOCKEDON, one word in all caps, to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Awesome. Uh, so then, fought your way through the minors, cracked the everyday lineup with the Vancouver Canucks. You, know, you have 42 points in 2003 I was good at one point, Offensive defense. Ah, don't give me that look. <laughs> Uh, so you had career year 2003, 2004. Uh, and then the lockout year happened. You kind of bounce around between some teams. And I listened to an episode of Spin Chicklets, I believe you were on, and I think that was October 2019. And you kind of had a, a nightmarish story with the Detroit Red Wings, and that kind of led to uh, the whole situation. I wouldn't situation. say it's a nightmare. That ended me here in Chicago. It, was just, so. <laughs> it didn't turn into a nightmare, but the whole situation was a nightmare. Before signing with the Blackhawks, you want to tell our listeners a little bit yeah, about that. you know um, – so that year I was uh, uh, no four or five. It was a lockout mm-hmm. year, and that's when the salary cap came into play. So I got forced out in Vancouver. There's a couple of us, uh, me and Merrick Malik. We got traded because they had to get under the salary cap. Yeah. Went to Long Island, ended up in L.A., and, you know, trade deadline, went back to Vancouver. You know, didn't play good. Um, you know, so nobody wanted to sign me, you know, rightfully so. You know, I didn't perform the year before, so I got to eat crow. Uh, I didn't play well. Detroit Red Wings said – you know, Kenny Holland was the GM. Said, hey, why don't you come to training camp? And uh, we want to try and find a you know good fit for Nick Lidstrom. Well, Nick Lidstrom, uh, probably the best team I ever played the game. One of the most amazing human beings. I'm like, yeah, I'm in. You know, let's go to Detroit and see what it can do. Um, played, had a pretty good training camp. And 
Um, we're going to Toronto to uh, play an exhibition game. No, you don't fly the night before, you fly the day of. And going to the airport, my agent calls me and said, hey, um, they just offered you a one-year deal mm-hmm. in Detroit. Um, but he said, you know, you're going to be in a, out of lineup with Chris Chalios. I said to my agent, well, <laughs> I might have a chance of winning the Stanley Cup here in Detroit. I'm probably not going to play much because, you know, it's Chris Chalios, Hall of Fame, or one of the best teams I ever play the game. You know, I'm probably my career is going to be ended on that note, maybe a Stanley Cup. Then I'm, so I said, we were talking to a few other teams, and, and every year teams always want to see how prepared their guys are. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they always say, hey, let's, you know, let's just wait after training camp, after exhibition games. I want to see if these, this young it guy can play. It happens every year, yeah. and every team does it to, to, to veterans. And mm-hmm. then that's why you see a lot of veterans signed during training camp. And I said, call these teams that we're talking to, and one of them was, was Chicago and Dale Talon. And Dale's like, yeah, you know, I'll give you a one-year deal. Um, a little bit more money, and it wasn't money. He said, I'll give you top, guaranteed you top four minutes. I told my agent, boom, no problem, sign it. But, you know, in this meantime, I'm in the air in Toronto, or we were flying to Toronto. We land. This conversation goes on with my, with my agent. I said, okay, tell, tell Dale, tell Blackhawks, I'll sign with them. Okay. We're in Toronto, bustling to, to the rink at the Air Canada Center, ACC, um, calling my agent. He's like, I can't get a hold of anybody. Can't get a hold of anybody. You know, get in there, get ready kind of change out of my suit and into my gear to warm up. And, you know, we got about 10, 15 minutes before we get on the ice. Guys are like, hey, so come on, you're going to play? I'm like, no, guys, I just signed in Detroit, or excuse me, in Chicago. Like, oh, congrats, blah, 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 I'm not playing. Five minutes to warm up starts. <laughs> I call my agent. I'm like, all right, I'm paying you 3%. Did you do your job? Nope. And I'm firing him. But the moral of the story is that he couldn't get out. I had to walk into the coach's office. With Mike Babcock. Mike Babcock and said, Hey, I'm not playing. Under the circumstances, I'm, I'm sure not he playing. He was so thrilled. He, you know, he <laughs> lost his mind, motherfucked me, and went off. You know, I went in the dressing room. Uh, Paul McLean is the assistant coach, kicked me out of there. So I'm standing in the hallway, got my suit on in Detroit um, with my bag in, you know, in Toronto, st- stranded, stuck. Yeah. And I ended up seeing Kenny Holland talk to Steve Eisenman. Steve Eisenman was great about it. Kenny Holland wasn't. And, but unfortunately, you got to do what you got to do in this business. And um, if I blew my knee out, knee out, they wouldn't have signed me. No. They don't care. And, you know, hockey is a business. So I had to do what I had to do for family. So, yeah, it was a fun time. Some great <laughs> stories. You know, uh, Mike Babcock is, is who Mike Babcock yeah, is. Yeah, we all know. He's a bad Babcock human is. being. Not and breaking news, ladies and gentlemen, by no, the way. No. Not breaking news on the podcast. Uh, Mike Babcock is a bad human being. You know, we can go down the stories you know, from there, <laughs> what, you know, what he did to, uh, you know, we can go, that's a whole other, another podcast. Definitely. But I ended up here in Chicago. So I had to uh, take a taxi to Buffalo that night, and then stayed overnight. Go get to, your gear, right? Take my first flight back to Detroit because I had all my stuff in mm-hmm, Detroit right. the next morning. Grabbed my stuff, took on another flight, and uh, met the team, Blackhawks, in St. Louis. They were having ex- two exhibition games, one in St. Louis. Then we played so that, Minnesota and then came back here. Right so, before the season started. Right, yeah, right before. Wow. So um, played one exhibition game and actually ended up you know, uh, landing here in Chicago and having to, to go to uh, Mr. Ward's funeral the next morning. Oh, wow. So that was my first <laughs> wow. <laughs> first part of the team. Obviously, I've been to Chicago many times, played yeah. with Vancouver and all the other teams, and I uh, loved Viagra Triangle and uh, going out, hated going to the rink and, and playing a terrible team. And lo and behold, my first NHL game is here in Chicago. So, wow. um, you know, it came a full circle. And yeah. Yeah, great stories. And, you know, it landed me up here, however that story comes about. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, that will wrap up part one of my sit-down interview with Blackhawks Stanley Cup champion defenseman Brent Sopel. Be on the lookout for part two dropping tomorrow morning. Thank you again for tuning into the show, and be sure to subscribe and to follow the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast for free right now on your favorite podcast app, and you'll get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day. And after the show, ask your smart device to play the Lockdown Bets podcast. Every day, your boy Q and Lee Sterling provide you with the biggest locks, must-hit parlays, plus which teams to fade across all professional sports. Be sure to give Locked On Bets a listen wherever you get your podcasts. Plus, make sure to check out betonline.ag to see all the lines and odds for any game you want to win money on. Once again, thank you for tuning into today's episode. I am your host, Jack Bushman. You can catch me on Twitter at my personal account, at JackBushman2, or my Blackhawks account, at TalkinHockey, for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. For any questions at all regarding anything related to the show, you can always email LockedOnBlackhawks at gmail.com. You can hit me on one of my Twitter accounts, or you can call 708-653-0572 to leave a voicemail. So until tomorrow's episode, thank you again for listening to the Locked On Blackhawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.